When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, Andreas Steno from Real Vision speaking, and we are live Tuesday, 8th of uh, November. We have a lot of on, uh, action to unpack today, not least in the uh, bleeding crypto space, uh, which is why I have my colleague Ash Bennington with me. First of all, good to see you, Ash. Thanks, Andreas. It's great to be here. Sorry it had to be under such circumstances. <laughs> yeah, uh, bad circumstances, obviously. Uh, given the turbulence around FTX in uh, crypto space, we are going to ask today whether this is the first mon monkey JPEG in the coal mine. And I promise to get back to that exact reference later. But before we get to that, I want to welcome uh, Jared Billion as well. Jared, how are you? Uh, good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ash, uh, let's begin with you. Um, a sudden liquidity crunch at the FTX crypto exchange. Binance apparently stepping in to underpin FTX uh, with a pending DD before a uh, takeover. Please take yeah. us through what happened earlier, Ash, and how you perceived the events as they unfolded. No, oh, that's that's exactly right, Andreas. I mean, the first thing to say is it's just been an extraordinary day uh, in the crypto space. So this story goes back about a month uh, when Bloomberg wrote a story about the interrelationship between uh, FTX, obviously Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange, and Alameda, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's uh, trading company, crypto quant shop, uh, crypto prop shop, for lack of a better term. Uh, obviously, Sam owns very large percentages of both. The exact numbers are not known, uh, but about a month ago. Uh, this story came out in Bloomberg uh, talking about the interrelationship, the economic interdependencies between those two firms. Last week, Coindesk followed up on that story uh, and wrote in more detail about how Alameda, uh, the crop, crypto prop shop, owned a great deal of FTT. This is the FTX native token, uh, the token that is essentially, we can assume, reliant to a certain extent on the cash flows of FTX, uh, and then also provides trading discounts for FTX users. So there's some utility function uh, of that coin as well. Uh, and then a couple of days ago, we saw this Twitter spat breakout between uh, SBF and CZ, uh, two men known by their initial Sam Bankman-Fried and Chen Zhengpao uh, from Binance. So this dispute started sort of out of nowhere. And then today, after this after this sort of intense uh, conversation, I should add uh, that what was the sort of the, the trigger for this was CZ came out with a statement that he was going to be liquidating, I believe it was $500 million in FTT tokens. Uh, they were the first investor. Binance was the first investor in FTX. And they announced essentially that they were going to be liquidating that token. Then you have this conversation, this rather heated debate in the Twitter sphere between CZ and SBF. And then today, 24 hours after this had sort of flared, you have this announcement from uh, Sam Bankman-Fried that FTX, uh, all of the non-US operating entities, which I believe is the bulk of the company in terms of transaction volume, is going to be sold uh, to CZ and Binance. Just an extraordinary sort of chain of events here uh, in the last 24 hours. 
What's the talk of the town in uh, crypto space after this deal has been announced, Ash? Uh, I mean, a liquidity crunch is obviously a word that most investors don't like to hear. Um, right. Is it a, a market full of scared market participants now? Well, what would ha what had happened, uh, what really caused this this most recent round of today's chaos uh, was the challenges that they had in meeting redemptions, essentially uh, giving customers back their money uh, when they wanted to sell their crypto. They got lagged uh, in that, and they obviously needed to raise a great deal of money. This idea of a liquidity crisis, a single firm liquidity crisis, is when you have, uh, in theory, you have assets, but you're not able to sell those assets uh, in time to meet your obligations. So you have this mismatch between assets and liabilities. And when this happens, it can be potentially catastrophic. Uh, lots of people remember these things happening on Wall Street in 2008. I said on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing today, uh, maybe this wasn't a Lehman moment for the space, but it was kind of a Bear Stearns moment or a Bear Stearns moment on blotter acid in hyperdrive because of the speed at which all of this occurred in. Um, but you know, obviously, what's interesting about this is as the news broke earlier today, we didn't see a whole lot of movement in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And now I'm looking at my screen. There's just a lot of red on the screen right now. Bitcoin uh, now trading below 18,500 off on a, on a trailing 24-hour basis, about 12 and a quarter percent. So it's lost uh, nearly 12 and a quarter percent in the last 24 hours. Ethereum uh, below 1,500 now, key psychological level, now trading at 1,314 on my screen, off nearly 18% on a 24-hour basis. Uh, Solana is getting absolutely hammered on this. Solana being part of the uh, collateral uh, that was involved in some of the FTX uh, properties. Uh, right now, looks like off more than 25%, trading at 23.85 on my screen. So obviously, some uh, some negative price momentum action on this news. Uh, but, you know, I think the bigger questions here are the philosophical ones uh, that this has begun to raise. And I think that that may be sort of the longer term result of this is this is what happens uh, when you like to Wall Street firms. These kinds of conversations are the conversations people who were watching the space in the 2007-2008 era remember only too well with Bear Stearns, uh, with Lehman Brothers uh, and some of the other shops that failed. So what's interesting to me is, you know, in many ways, the crypto space uh, was sold to us, uh, to people uh, out there who were interested in it, like myself, uh, as something that was going to be much more secure, much more transparent. And yet, when you have these centralized entities, uh, you basically are relying on the trust of human beings uh, that that people have in human beings. I, I can hear myself. I've just had a conversation on Twitter Spaces with Jim Bianco, and I think I've imbibed some of his ideas about this. He was talking very passionately about this idea of what happens when trust collapses. But that's fundamentally what we had. You could talk about this uh, in terms of Voyager. You could talk about this in terms of Celsius. You could talk about this in terms of Luna. These are all conversations that the idea was that when you when you lost faith, when markets lost faith in the credibility of uh, an institution uh, or in the credibility of uh, a peg that you saw these dramatic downward momentum in the asset price uh, valuations. And this is really, I think, uh, the philosophical question about what's happening in this space right now when you have when you have these centralized entities like an exchange uh, that control so much uh, power. Obviously, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, one of the wealthiest people in the world uh, prior to today, uh, and someone who is a, an incredible powerhouse in the space until these extraordinary, uh, just extraordinary events of the last, uh, whatever it's been now, less than, uh, less than what, six hours? It's been incredibly quick. It leads me to the million-dollar question, if not the billion-dollar question um, of the day, Ash. How severe is the contagion risk from this event? 
You know, I think the only truly honest answer for that is we just don't know. Uh, the animal spirits of markets are obviously uh, can be very skittish at times. We've seen a significant, it's not been a great year for crypto as anyone who's held these assets knows. Uh, when you look at this down from the, you know, the November 21 highs, Bitcoin was trading at a, a share uh, at a slight uh, sliver below uh, uh, $70,000. And now, you know, here we are trading down at 18000 So the extent to which markets can continue to get more skittish an open question i think the only real answer right now is when you when you find yourself at one of these inflection points uh it's just uncertain there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the space that's how i would characterize it very difficult to know obviously uh the future price action on this jared i wanted to bring in uh your views on on this as well is this symptomatic of the kind of marketplace that we're seeing across assets uh, these months well I mean, it kind of reminds me of 2008, to be honest. I mean, there was a series of failures in 2008, Washington Mutual, Countrywide, Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, and it culminated in Lehman. And Lehman was the last and the biggest failure. And, you know, when I think about the failures in crypto over the last uh, six months, you know, whether it's Luna or FTX, really, the, I, I, think the, I think the last domino to fall is MicroStrategy. Um, I think if uh, MSTR were to fail, that would that would definitely mark the bottom for crypto. Um, and you know the other the other interesting side effect to this is, you know, Coinbase being a regulated U.S. exchange, you know, stands to benefit a lot from this. Um, you know, they they are regulated in a way that the other exchanges aren't, and you know have the ability to steal some market share for the next bull market, and there there will be another bull market someday. I wanted to uh, play a soundbite for you from our daily crypto briefing from uh, just earlier today, obviously hosted by by you, Ash. Uh, so let's listen to the soundbite and uh, get back to this discussion. Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my mind is really blown at how rapidly this story developed. Uh, I would say, obviously, there's a lot of information that is unknown still, uh, and, and all we're getting is uh, sort of bits and pieces from, from different tweets. Uh, I will say it's, you know, it, it's a really fascinating posture, in, particularly, uh, in particular because SPF is, has been so active in the policy discussion in D.C., uh, and now... You know, it might look to many people like the emperor has no clothes. And, and I do wonder how that's going to frame the discussion in DC going forward. The daily crypto briefing uh, is available for free at the realvision.com page. Uh, but back to you, Ash, uh, since you're the host of the um, uh, crypto briefing, uh, what's on your radar the coming days after this event? Well, I can't really comment on the clip because I couldn't hear the audio. The only thing I can say definitively is today is obviously not the kind of day where you change your shirt between shows. Um, you know, look, I'm going to I'm going to point to the obvious here. Uh, here's what I'm going to be looking at. Obviously, we're going to be looking at price action. We're going to look to see uh, to what extent this is going to impact Bitcoin and Ethereum pricing. We're also looking at Solana. Let me pull up, by the way, another aspect of this that's, that's really uh, quite stark today is the absolute collapse in FT 
FT. This is the native token of FTX. It started the day out at about uh, at about uh, twenty two bucks, and now it's trading. Uh, now it's trading at five fifty nine on my screen. So obviously we're going to be looking at the price action, uh, and clearly we're going to be following Sam Bankman Fried's Twitter feed very closely. Uh, he he posted, and if you if you go ahead and watch that show, and I'd encourage everyone to go out and uh, take a look at Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing today. So the main primary source of information that we had during today's conversation, uh, CZ from Binance put out a relatively modest kind of very direct statement on uh, on Twitter. But Sam Bankman-Fried really unpacked this in some detail. And on that show, uh, with the uh, two uh, terrific guests we had and with uh, our own Marco, uh, we went through and walked through uh, those tweets at a very granular level and talked about exactly what Sam was talking about in those tweets and why it may or may not be significant. Obviously, uh, it's incredibly early in the story. We're just trying to look at the facts that we have on the table uh, and maybe try and analyze them a little bit. Uh, but that's what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to be looking to see if there's any new news flow out of SBF's Twitter feed because that's been the most powerful source of information. In fact, you know, 99% of the stories that you're going to see written about this are going to use Sam Bankman-Fried's Twitter uh, stream as the, as the source material. So we're going to be waiting to see if we hear anything more from Sam and also, of course, looking at price action to see if there are any contagion effects, Andreas. Ash, uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. Always a pleasure to get an update from you. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Jared, I, I wanted to get um, back to, to you and uh, sort of the feelings that we get when we watch this kind of price action uh, in crypto space, but also with certain spillovers to other parts of the asset markets. Uh, you wrote a story in the Daily Dirt Nap uh, today on the resemblance to the dot-com experience. Um, so tell us a bit about that story and what feels so reminiscent uh, to the dot-com crisis today. Well, I think there's I think there's a lot of analogs between what happened from 2000 to 2003 and what's happening today. Um, you know, the the Nasdaq over that time period was down 80 percent. Um, but once the bear market ended, you had really a renaissance in value stocks. You had a regime shift from growth investing to value investing. And if you look at what's happened in the markets over the last, uh, I would say, four or five weeks, uh, value has outperformed pretty strongly. Um, one of the best performing sectors has been industrials, actually. Um, and I'm starting, I'm starting to draw some conclusions about how we might this we might be entering, you know, and people have been waiting for this for 15 years. I mean, you know, people have been saying that value investing is dead; it's never coming back. And in the last month or so, it's coming back, uh, and it feels a lot like 2003. I mean, I remember I was on the trading floor in Lehman, and you know, instead of hearing orders to buy Microsoft or Amazon or things like that, I was hearing orders to buy Phelps Dodge and Cleveland Cliffs and Inco and you know, basic materials and industrial stocks. And that's really what led the market out of the bear market in 2003. And it kind of feels like the same thing is happening today. 
let me show you a chart I made on the uh, NASDAQ index versus the dot-com experience. Uh, it's chart three, Brian. Um, it's obviously not a serious price prediction, uh, but it works as a, um, a decent historical analogy. And if this is the dot-com all over again, it may take the NASDAQ basically more than a decade to really gather pace again, if you look at the price action and basically copy-paste it from 2002 and uh, onwards. Do you think it could take another decade before we start talking up tech again? I mean, is it that severe? No, I, I, I do think it is, and I don't, I don't say that from like a place of bearishness. I'm not, I'm not saying that as like a perma bear on tech. The reason I say that is because in markets, like the same gag never works twice in a row. It's always something different. Like things change. So it, you know, whatever leads us out of this bear market is not going to be tech. So there's a lot of discussion about Facebook. Facebook is down 72% and Google is down, I don't know, 30 or 40%. And people are looking at these tech stocks and trying to pick bottoms, but that's a huge waste of time. We could have a very long period of time, maybe not 10 years, but at least three to five years where tech doesn't really go anywhere and those valuations compress. So, yeah. Jared, um, I consider you basically the master of sentiment assessment. <laughs> and um, if we look at the current sentiment in, in the tech space, in the crypto space, et cetera, is it something that would worry you when you conclude that the tech sector is not a buy currently? No, I, I wouldn't say it worries me. I mean, look, like, you know, I think we're getting down to the tag ends of the bear market. I think it's, you know, the way I look at the bear market is, you know, people think that it began around January of this year, but I think it actually began around January of last year. I think the peak in sentiment in the market was actually the GameStop incident. You know, that that actually was the peak of sentiment in January of 2021. So if you use that as your starting point for the bear market, this bear market has been has lasted almost two years. And the average duration of a bear market is 20 months. So this has already gone on longer than normal. So, you know, like I said, I think we're getting down to tag ends. But instead of focusing on the stuff that's not working and hasn't worked, you want to focus on the stuff that is working and will work in the future. We already get a lot of questions in from the uh, audience, and we have a question from our member, Russell. Um, he, he wants you to give an update on your sort of broad-based assessment of the sentiment across assets uh, at the current juncture, um, Jared. So, so please go ahead. Well, you know, with stocks, um, it, the, we put in a low of basically 3,500 in the S&P to the tick on Thursday, October 13th. That was the last CPI print. Uh, it, it was the number we expected was, I think, 8.1. It came in at 8.2%. We had this big sell-off in the morning. We put in the bottom at 3,500. 3, and then we had a big reversal intraday. We have had a period of a couple of months now where we've had repeated attempts to get back down to those lows. And a lot of bad stuff has happened in the markets. And you know what they say, when, when you have bad news and the market can't go down, it usually means that we're going to have a bull market. I mean, that's, it's just kind of trading wisdom. So um, we have CPI, obviously, on Thursday, and we're expecting 7.9%. One of the things that people have been talking about with CPI is that even if we're having 
marginal increases inflation on a month over month basis, the headline number is going to come down over time. We're expecting 7.9%. I think if it comes in at 7.9%, that is a victory. I think there's a possibility it could come in below that. And if that happens, we are going to have an explosive move to the upside. I think it's very asymmetric. You know, I don't think we have a lot of downside. Let me put it this way. I don't think we have a huge amount of downside on a number that prints 8% or higher. I think that I think it's already priced in. Let me uh, show a couple of charts on inflation that I wanted to uh, share with you, Jared. Um, I think the two of us shared the view that inflation is about to um, to come down. Um, and I have a couple of interesting charts in relation to goods inflation in the US. Uh, first of all, it is fairly clear that the inflation stemming from the supply chain of China uh, is starting to fade. Um, if we look at the freight rates from China to the West, um, they're basically falling off a cliff week after week right now. And you get a pretty neat correlation to the price of goods in the uh, PC basket or the CPI basket with the time lag. Um, that's one interesting uh, observation. And then uh, chart one, Brian, on the Mannheim index, so the used car index versus the uh, price of used cars in the CPI index, the Mannheim index is now in deflationary territory. So prices are falling uh, week after week um, on on used car auctions. So goods inflation coming down. But the big question now, Jared, is probably the service sector. So what do you make of that dynamic? No, I've seen, I've seen, I saw your post on Twitter about that the other day about goods inflation versus services inflation. And uh, goods inflation definitely is going to come down. Services inflation will come down more slowly or not at all because most of that is based on wages and the labor market is still strong and wages are sticky and you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why service prices won't come down. So the thing that the thing that kind of sticks with me is, you know, the Fed has what you are giving us today are private real time measures of inflation. And the Fed has access to the same data that you or I do. They have lots of private real time information on inflation, but they act as if the only piece of information they have is CPI. And CPI doesn't tell you what's happening today. It tells you what happened four months ago. So, you know, four months ago, we printed 9.1%. And that was basically, basically coincided perfectly with, you know, Jerome Powell saying that inflation was not transitory. So I think, you know, after four months have passed, I think we're going to start to see some of this feed into CPI. The disclaimer is, the disclaimer is, I've been saying this for a couple of months and I've been wrong. You know, so I, I, you know, I feel kind of foolish about it, but I do think it's going to happen soon, possibly at this number. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. 
I welcome in the club. I've, I've done the exact same thing, Jared, uh, to be brutally honest. Um, the last time the two of us spoke on the Real Vision Daily briefing, uh, you had um, some hilarious remarks almost on the sentiment within the long commodity bet. Uh, you basically addressed this, uh, addressed it as one of the most cocky sentiments you'd, you'd ever seen um, due to the um, Traders being long energy, not really reflecting on the price action uh, we'd seen in, in the oil price at the time. So what do you make of the sentiment in energy space right now compared to a couple of months ago? I, I mean, sentiment in the energy space kind of goes back and forth between hot and very hot. It, it doesn't really cool off. You know, people are bullish on oil or they're very bullish on oil or they're extremely bullish on oil. Um you know, I, I I'm I'm not really fighting the sentiment in energy these days because there's a lot of good fundamental reasons why you want to be long oil. And the first of all is that we're running, you know, the SPR releases are tapering, right? So we're getting down to the ends of the SPR releases. And the second of it is just the overall psychological impact of President Biden's just complete intransigence on drilling. You know, so like literally saying, you know, read my lips, no drilling. You know, I mean, the 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 psychological impact of that is super super powerful. So I really, I you know, I I have I have a tough time being bearish on energy at this point in time. We obviously have the midterms today in the U.S. Um, we don't know the result yet, but is the midterms a potential game changer for this whole energy trade uh the idea that um the scarcity will remain a, a thing into next year in in the u.s well i don't think i don't think the midterms really have an effect on energy uh, i think they do have an effect on overall sentiment um you know this is going to be falsifiable in a couple of hours but i you know mm. i do believe that the republicans will take the house and the senate the last uh, the last betting prediction odds that I saw was that the Republicans had an 80 percent chance of taking the Senate. So I think it's you know, I think it's fair to say that's probably going to happen. Um, I think, you know, I would expect I would expect to walk in tomorrow and find futures up. Now, I've seen some arguments that a Republican win is actually bearish equities. And the reason people are making those arguments is because of the Keynesian impact on spending. So what we're going to have is, is a complete, uh, basically halt to new spending over the next two years. And I would interpret that as bullish, especially for bonds. I mean, from an academic standpoint, if you have less bond issuance, I think it's positive for bonds and I think interest rates come down. Um, but some people look at that from a Keynesian standpoint and they say, well, we're not gonna have as much spending, which is gonna result in lower growth and, you know, you can look at it either way. Mm, fair point. Um, but given this interesting discussion on spending, uh, I wanted to get your take on today's price action in both interest rates and uh, also in gold. Um, it seems like an interesting cocktail. We have gold prices up, uh, bond yields down uh, alongside this meltdown in, uh, in crypto space. So what do you make of that price action also in relation to this discussion on spending post the midterms? Well, I mean, really, the gold trade, I think, is kind of divorced from fundamentals. I mean, what I'll say about I'll say about gold, what I say all the time is that it really trades technically. And what we had today was a breakout above trend line resistance. We had an eight month downtrend 
from the 2060 highs back in March, and we just broke above the downtrend today. And if gold gets above 1720, which is the previous highs, that's where we ran into resistance today. If it gets above 1720, then basically the, the whatever you want to call it, the correction or bear market in gold will be over. So that could happen soon. An interesting thing I noticed about the markets today is that in the afternoon when stocks were cratering on the FTX news, the bond market held pretty firm. And what you've been seeing in the last several months is a positive correlation with stocks and bonds. And today, for the first time, you actually saw a negative correlation with stocks and bonds. Yeah, interesting uh, observation. Um, let's conclude with a couple of questions from our members. Um, we have a question from Scott uh, asking you whether you expect contagion effects from the crypto washout um, to, to NASDAQ, basically. Are there crypto-related stocks in the uh, triple Q index that you should be aware of? Uh, I don't know about contagion. You know, I there's, I mean, look, like you know, regardless of what happens with FTX, you know, I, I you know, I made the argument earlier that I expect tech to underperform, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, if we get a ten percent move higher in stocks, uh, you're probably going to get a five percent move higher in tech. Uh, I, I just think it's going to underperform. A question from our member Gary. Um, he's asking you for a potential driver behind the performance that we've seen in industrials uh, over the past six, eight weeks here. Uh, Dow Jones performing um, well versus NASDAQ, for example. Um, he referenced the uh, huge driver when China entered the World Trade Organization in 2001 and the uh, subsequent um, performance in industrials relative to other parts of the equity index. Uh, do you see sort of a fundamental driver behind this this time around? Uh, that is, that's a pretty smart comment. You know, it's funny. I never drew that connection between China in 2001 and industrials. Uh, no, I really, I really think it's more of a function of, of quants really and factors and trading factors. Um, so, you know, I, there's, you probably seen over the last six months, a pretty strong negative correlation between energy and tech. Right, that's all quant trading. That's all factors, and the value factor has, for reasons that I don't know or understand, has come back into favor. Um, I don't, I don't know that I really care why, but if you, but, but if you, if you look at the historical parallel between today and 2003, and you think that can persist into the future, then you want to follow that higher. You know, I there's there's all kinds of evidence. There are cheap stocks all throughout the world. Europe, 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 I've said this a bunch of times before. Europe is trading like 1982 in the U.S. You have single-digit PEs. You have high dividend yields. Emerging markets, you have just enormous dividend yields in emerging markets. Like, there's a lot of cheap stocks in the world. And I don't, you know, U.S. stocks are much more expensive, but there's a lot of opportunities everywhere. Yeah, and uh, I may raise the flag for, for Europe being one of those continents with very cheap equities as a consequence of the uh, ongoing energy crisis. Uh, Jerry, let me, uh, Jared, let me try and uh, summarize for the audience here. Um, first of all, uh, in relation to the uh, initial discussions on uh, crypto, um, it's basically too early to say whether the contagion risk is, uh, is large or not, uh, but it's certainly not good news for the crypto space. And I mean, one sh probably shouldn't rule out 
spillovers to the broader tech sector. Uh, and uh, with your words, you're basically already um, ready to uh, underway uh, tech, uh, tech stocks versus the rest of the uh, equity space. So I guess this is just another reason to do so. Um, value is back in fashion. And um, it seems kind of reminiscent of the post 2002-2003 experience. So let's see whether we will get a complete copy-paste of the subsequent 10 years after the dot-com crisis. In case, it will be very interesting to follow. Jared Dillian, it was a pleasure to host you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And I'll see you soon, hopefully. I'll see you soon, Jared, and um, we will uh, obviously be back uh, tomorrow with more in the daily briefing. But before I leave you, um, here's the meme of the day, um, and I have to show you this meme again. I've shown this meme to you before, uh, but this is Jay Powell saying, I'm going to hike interest rates until you morons stop trading monkey JPEGs. And that was the reference that I started the whole show with. Thank you for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing guys out there. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, uh, tomorrow with more. Weston Nakamura will host the show and he will be um, talking to Darius. They'll see you tomorrow. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.